uh, neo-Stalinism, that term was actually coined by Hal Draper to refer to people who tried to revive Stalinism after 1952. Um, and uh, separate from Maoism, um, and neo-Stalinism, uh, interestingly, has always been seen as having more in line with Stalin's uh, nationalism, although Stalin wasn't really a Russian nationalist, which is kind of funny, than it has with, you know, actual historical Stalinism. Um, so it's a kind of weird um, uh, hybrid position. Um, yeah, that's, so that's it, one thing about this stuff is it's just none of it's going to be very neat or clean. All of it's going to be very weird and hybrid and have lots of weird overlaps. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that we're going to talk about. Like, the reason why we're doing... Let's talk about why we're doing Dugan first. Um, because maybe this can get to why we wanted to do this project. I've been laying out the kind of, like, just factual... These are who's associated with these groups. This is who's published it. This is who Dugan is. Um, but Dugan, for me, is interesting. When I read them in 2012, 2013, and I've essentially read this book three times. When I read them in 2012, 2013, I was actually um, interested in it because to me it kind of proved that postmodernism was actually reactionary the entire time um and i because what i kind of read this book was was heidegger deleuze um british geopolitics from the 19th century eurasianism from the 19th and early 20th century pre-soviet stuff um but then like derrida heidegger um alan bloom i mean interestingly like the the civilizational frameworks accepted by dugan actually overlap with the civilizational frameworks accepted by neoconservatives that have not been talked about in a while um and then i kind of tried to wrestle with the fact that it is a critique it is both post-fascist in the proper sense that it comes out of fascist that it comes out of fascism but it is a critique of fascism. And I think people miss that on the American center and left. I mean, um, yeah, like when, the, whenever you talk about Dugan, it's just it's it's just like, well, there's fascists, you know, there's Hitler and and modern fascists like Dugan. And that's about it, really. That's all you ever hear. So, you know, if unless unless you read this book, which to me is not finished yet, like this is my first time reading it. Um I had heard about Dugan for a very long time, but always exclusively in the camp of like Alain Benoit and, and other just like neo-fascists. But who um, he's allied with. I, I mean, people, Yeah, I do want to like point this out. Like he's been, he's made forays into Greca and into um, Casa Pound and Golden Dawn. And he's endorsed all those things. Ironically, the flood of, New Rasputin articles actually hit are the articles that I used to be able to find where he explicitly endorsed all those all those like European post-fascist movements of the early early aught teens. Um, 
it, and I find it funny because all the stuff that came that that I find on him now is like he's Putin dressed Putin, blah blah blah, you know. Yeah. Um, and and like, Applebaum making it out to be, yeah, yeah. And what's funny is it actually buried a lot of his actual political advocacy in the early aughts and aught teens. Um, there's there's literally two books on Dugan, and only one of them is in English, and only one of them is good. Um, the one that is good is uh, Mark Sedwick's uh, Against the Modern World, which is a history of the of the uh, traditionalist movement. And what people don't understand is that um, traditionalism uh, was a precursor to both this stuff and to the alt-right proper. The actual alt-right, not just, you know, all the neo-Nazis, which is also alt-right. But, like, right. like, it really was something that, say, Richard Spencer was pulling from. And it's the stuff, when I left being a, a paleoconservative, honestly, I hit the the first round of Alain de Boniste, uh this stuff, in Patrick Buchanan circles. Like, very deep and hidden. Oh, and wow. In 2000, like, Sam Francis and stuff like that. And I freaked the fuck out. Because I was like, whoa, this stuff is crazy. Like... And ran from it as far as I fucking could. Um, I had also got, I'd also gotten into Avola, um, not from the way people normally get into him, but because he wrote a bunch of books on a kind of fascistized view of Buddhism. But I was responding so strongly to the kind of early aughts, like the the precursors to the Mac mindfulness stuff that we have today. Uh, the quote, you know, engage Western liberal Buddhism that like when something like Avola's book on Buddha hit my hit my uh, shelf, it felt very more it felt more honest to the Theravada Buddhism that I knew than to Western conceptions of like insight meditation. Like uh, like more than Richard Gere would have led you to believe. Yeah, a lot more than Richard Gere would have led me to believe. <laughs> Um, now, I also now know that that's a very it was a very post-fascist reading of Buddhism, and it's not it's not actually a whole lot more correct. But when you're dealing with, you know, a very traditional religion, and all you can get with it is basically like pop liberalism. You know, if you like go to Tricycle Magazine today, they publish Rebecca Solnit and rocks, you know, and, and what you know, and whatever as almost like Dharma stuff, and it's bizarre. Because yeah, you're just oh. like, this has very little to do at all. Like, there's nothing that inherently leaks um, progressivism to traditional Buddhism. Um, so I end up uh, finding Evola from that and finding Rene Guénon. Um, I don't know if you know about Rene Guénon. Um, uh, I don't. And in fact, I've actually, I've read Julius Evola, but like, or Evola, whatever. But it was this year was the first time. So this is all brand new to me. So uh, Rene Guénon was a French perennialist who got who became like a Sufi traditionalist, who was also trying to like come up with a uh, like hybrid hybrid belief system that mixed Islam, Hindu philosophy, and Roman Catholicism. Um, and he very reactionary, but very quietistic. 
So unlike Evola, you're not ha- like this is not a guy who floated with fascism in, in any explicit way whatsoever. Um, and so, uh, but he wrote books like on Oriental metaphysics and um, um, uh, esoteric versus esoteric teachings, uh, and. Uh, Sharia and Takia and Mosaic and Kabbalah. I mean, this guy was, if you, you like, if you get into like religious dirty circles, this guy is like a crank, but you can encounter him. But he was popular in kind of paleo conservative circles because it was a way to get, frankly, he was a way to get Islamist and traditionalist Roman Catholics and, and Orthodox Christians and pagans all on the same team which is a hard coalition to maintain when you think about it yeah um, I mean, it is um so that's what Grenon Grenon was you know Grenon was considered more intellectually serious than Evola but less politically serious because he was so quietistic um and so I ended up in in these circles for a very loose period of time. And what was weird about them is they came at me two different ways. One way was paleoconservatism getting deep into like the post Pat Buchananite slash like Ron Paul movement. But the mm-hmm. other way is not going to be obvious. And that is through the punk and weird trash culture scene through like feral press. Yeah. See, that's kind of a surprise. Uh, it, not if you know feral press authors and stuff and the bands around it and neo folk and all that. No, it actually shouldn't be a surprise. Like, Sol Invictus uses winning on symbolism, exactly. Actually, so, yeah, I guess you're right. Hmm. So that's how I ended up in that world. Um, I knew about Dugan before even uh, the fourth political theory book was published. Um, like I said, I knew people who knew Mark Shabogda. Who was who was Dugan's English-speaking secretary at the University of Moscow before he got fired, and one of the first translators of uh, for political theory. And he still shows up, by the way. Every now and then, you'll see him on the gray zone. Shabob. Yeah, actually, I think I watched a video with him, you know, earlier today. But I had heard of Dugan like around the same time as Edward Limonov, and mm-hmm. not and not since until the you know the Russia-Ukraine stuff. So like. 2014. Yeah. So my impression of Dugan was always that he was more of a hybrid thinker and he was actually more left wing, but I guess really that's more Dugan. I mean, not Dugan, uh, the other guy. That's more Limonov. Yeah. I mean, um, Limonov was more of a, I mean, he was one in one way, Limonov was more of an explicit racialist. And the other way, um, uh, he was more of a national Bolshevik um, period. He was, I mean, his party was actually formally banned in 2007. And I think what makes, what brings Limonoff into the circle is because Limonoff has an influence on people like the exiled. You know, and Mark Ames and whatnot. And Ames is never, I don't think Ames was ever like officially uh, 
a national Bolshevik or anything like that. I don't think so anyway. But Limonov was tied into the exile crew. Um, he was in jail for a whole lot of the aughts. Uh, and um, he uh, he was he took very similar stances to Dugan on the annexation of Crimea and the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, the separatist republics. Right. Um, but he died um, in, in, in 2020 and really wasn't active after 2014. Yeah. So, but um I mean, it, it was interesting because Lemonov had like ties to people like Solzhenitsyn, although Solzhenitsyn eventually called him a little insect who writes pornography. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, I, I bring all this up because this is a group of weirdos that which Dugan surrounded, but Dugan in some ways is the least racialist of them. Um, and he is yet also what we might call Western cultural chauvinist, um, for the West, which is interesting. If you actually read what Dugan advocates, he advocates, like, he thinks national Bolshevism is great in Europe and the Americas, like, right. because it would lead to, uh, both, both decolonization and, um, and I mean, you know, I was I've joked on another another thing that today there's this weird group of people who can go back and forth between Jay Sakai, Jay Sakai thought and Browderism. But if Dugan is your frame of reference, that isn't hard to do. Well, well right, because you can go back and forth and also like uh, and not acknowledge that you're going back and forth. It's all contained within Dugan's ideology. Right. Um so, but why did why were you interested in Dugan? Dugan to me is a problematic figure because he's sort of like in some ways he's a joke, in other ways he's a very serious man, and I think it's I think it's hard for people to wrap their head around someone who is both things. Right. 